I'm Frank Trigg, and you're listening to Straight Hustling Podcast. All right, y'all live at straighthustling.com. This is Dick Darren. I got my boy Money Mike. In the house. I got my boy Stu in the corner. Man, what's up? And uh, we got a MMA legend coming on here in a few minutes. We got Frank Trigg. I'm excited to talk to Frank. Oh, I can't wait. He's a beast. You know, Frank Trigg's famous for his choke lock. I got a dog that needs a choke lock right now. So we'll yeah. talk to him after the show. We'll see if he can't uh, put a whooping on her and get her uh, straightened up. We're going to get Frank on the phone here in a second. Y'all sit tight. We're going to make this happen. Hey, man. How you doing, Frank? Good, how are you? Good. This is uh, Dick Darren from Straight Hustling. I got my partner here, Money Mike, and also uh, Stu. Okay. And I want to thank you for coming out and taking time out of your busy schedule and uh, meeting with us, man. We're super excited. Yeah, I'll let you know. I was right in the middle of playing a really severe game of uh, Call of Duty. Oh. I had to put on pause you guys. So, yeah, this is uh, a big step for you. Man, I'm addicted to ghosts. Man, that is awesome. I play ghosts every day. It's killing me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I just got the Xbox 360. I had that, like, my first, first game out, I had that one. And mine actually lasted forever. And the kids, it like broke me six months ago, finally. Like, oh, yeah. It came out like 10 years ago. And my kids were like, hey, um, we want to get a new one. I was like, okay. So I went and got an Xbox, uh, one because it's just a better technology. I, my, my buddies actually works for Microsoft. So I just like the technology better. And, now I'm stuck playing again, like Lego <laughs> Batman with the kids and Call of Duty and Assassin. It's just a mess. Once you get them to bed, are you still staying up all night playing? Well, you know what happens is that uh, the, my two youngest ones are, are six and four. I have a 21-year-old um, as well as a, as a 12-year-old. But uh, the six and four-year-old, I, I, I regulate it, you know, homework and and because uh, the six-year-old's in kindergarten, obviously, and then the four-year-old's in preschool. So, like, it's homework first, and then we get to play for an hour, we gotta shut it off and go outside and play some t-ball and do some other stuff for, you know, until we get exhausted and come back inside. Another you know, half an hour, I gotta kind of regulate them. And oh, I yeah. found out that I wasn't regulating myself. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, two in the morning and I get like, hey, I could be up in four hours to get them ready for school and I'm, I'm still playing. What the hell is wrong with me? You know, Damn. It's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to kind of keep together. You're not the only one that suffers from video game addiction, I swear. I had to quit playing. I can't do it because I get sucked in, and then the next thing I know, I'm like, damn, I've wasted the whole day, and didn't get anything done, and I just can't do it anymore. Every now and then, I'll try to get on. My, my son plays a lot of it, and uh, he's got the Xbox One now, and he loves it, and trying to keep him off of it. Yeah. Big chore. Yeah, it's a, it's a pain, you know, but if that's, the, that's where technology is going. If yeah, you want right. to have kids now, you don't have much of a choice. You got that right. You gotta put them, you gotta put them on the gaming, cause that's what, that's where, you know, our world is going, you know? Yeah. I've gotta upgrade my Nintendo 64, so I'll be looking at the Xbox One soon. <laughs> uh, at least you're not still playing on Atari, so you're okay. <laughs> I've always been a big fan of yours, and I've always liked to see you on TV fighting and your commentary and stuff, but I just gotta ask, so, MMA fights, you got the Rampage, you got the Axe Murder, you got the Nightmare, how did you get the Twinkle Toes? Um, actually, because I paid my toenails. <laughs> I paid my toenails in '94 as a as a gimmick, and just kind of stuck. Like you know, I've been I've been paying my toenails. As far as I, have, to my knowledge, I'm the original guy paying his toenails. And obviously, Chuck Liddell got more fame for it because he was a champ and was doing it, and a lot of people noticed his black toenails. And obviously, he had more press around because he was winning all the time, and I wasn't. So, you know, but I, to my knowledge, I, I started paying my toenails long before Chuck did, and I still I still do now. Like, it wasn't. It wasn't part of my fight monitor. Like I wasn't just doing it when I was fighting. It's just kind of part of what I do. I like getting my my 
my nails done, um, I like having somebody else do it for me than me having yeah. to sit down and, and do all that stuff myself, and it's just kind of stuck. Man, you know, and, and my manager was just like, "Hey, you got crinkly toes. That's what I'm going with." <laughs> I actually, hate I actually hate the the nickname. I'm trying to get rid of it. Well, it. man, you got to be a bad mother to walk around with that, though. There ain't nobody saying nothing to you about it. That's for sure. Well, honestly, what are you going to tell your your mom when you come home with your jaw broken by a guy? You know, say, "Mom, I I, I kicked got kicked in the head by a guy who paints his toenails." Like, how do you explain that? I, I, I know a lot about you anyway, just from, like I said, watching and stuff. But we kind of looked up some stuff. Uh, Steve's been over here stalking you, looking you up online and stuff. And we wanted to talk to you about, you know, I'm a big fan of just uh, high school wrestling and MMA and all that stuff. So I saw that you like got started wrestling like 12 years old. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually late. Like for most guys, oh, yeah. start wrestling, start wrestling at six years old. Yeah. I was that's, actually really late. Yeah. What, what, what did you like start wrestling in like a uh, middle school then? Yeah, yeah. I guess we call it middle school in the sixth grade. Um, we yeah. actually, my, uh, mom was constantly getting married and, and divorced and the, the new stepdad wanted to live out in the country as opposed to living in the city. And so we're, you know, we're talking about the city of Rochester, which is like a million and a half people. We're not talking about New York City. Yeah, right. You know, we're talking about a small, you know, a smaller city by city standards. And we went out in the middle of the community that had like 10,000 people and that's just kind of what, what they wanted to do. And there was nothing, I was swimming at the time. I was a really high level swimmer for the age group. I was, you know, breaking state records and, Control and stuff, and I got my way to, you know, to being in that space, you know, a swimming space, and then uh, we moved, and there was no pool, you know, yeah, and there was no football, yeah, and there was no lacrosse, so I had soccer and wrestling is all I really had, and then, Who uh, wants to play what soccer? I gravitated to was, was, uh, was soccer. Well, damn, it worked out well for you, man, oh, that's geez. for sure. Well, you know, I really, to be honest with you, I really loved soccer when I was growing up, like, that's the sport I really wanted to play, and like, wanted to pursue as a professional, but I just realized in the middle of it that I don't do very well, and I was having having severe problems with with myself having a great match and and you know getting you know getting a lot of assists. I wasn't much of a scorer; I was more of a assist because I'm left footed, and I played left play left wing or left halfback, and I would I would do a great job of getting a lot, a lot of assists and getting the ball you know getting the ball up front and, and doing my job. But then we still would lose matches, and I just couldn't handle it. Like, it was like, how can we lose when I'm doing so well? Or we would win on days, and I had a, like a horrible game. We still win. I just didn't understand that concept. So my my older brother was like, "Well, you, you know, you're more fit for individual sports." I don't know what the hell that meant. Individual <laughs> sports. I don't know what that stuff meant. I was just like, he's he just like you're just a better wrestler. And I found myself really like when matches were tight and things were close, and I knew I could actually pull a victory, even though I was losing. There was some time left. I kind of just you know grunt down in the middle of it, and and I found myself like enjoying wrestling more because even if the team, you know. Point system that goes on right. with the wrestling, folk style wrestling. It still didn't make a difference because I won. Saying I won that night, you know, team, the whole the whole rest of the team could lose, yeah. but I won my match. And yeah. I yeah. you know, and in my mind, yeah. I'm a little bit selfish, but that's what you know made me into the, the professional athlete that you guys saw on TV all the time. Yeah, man. So. Any of your other, any of your brothers or anything wrestle? I had one brother that wrestled at Annapolis, Chris Craig. He went on to wrestle at the Naval Academy. Uh, he's much older than I was, though. He was actually. He graduated, graduated high school in like 86 or thereabouts. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was, uh, it wasn't bad at all. It was, you know, he went out and did pretty well, but he only wrestled for a little while because, you know, when you're at the, at the academy, you're basically becoming an engineer. You know, whether you're at the, the yeah. Naval Academy, you know, um, at what, or at Annapolis or West Point or whatever academy you, know, you go to, military academy, it's, you're basically becoming an engineer. So it's very difficult to really get, uh, um, uh, get into sports. You know, you get, you get a guy like Brian Stan, who also oh, yeah. graduated from Annapolis and played football 
and did very well at football while getting his degree and becoming an officer in the military. It's very, it's very hard to do it. Oh, and yeah. Nothing was... against football players, but, but let's be honest, wrestling's a lot harder. We have to do two days every day to, to get, be on top of our game. We have to watch our diet all the time to be on top of our game. And then, you know, then on top of that, having to do all the math courses, you know, Chris could only, I think he, he, uh, stopped having to do his junior year of, uh, of wrestling and, and, uh, moved on. Everybody else in my family, my other brothers, all, all very good athletes. My younger brother, William, was probably the best wrestler out of a bunch of us, but he chose a, chose a more academic path. He graduated from high school and, and went on, and, and now he's a diplomat in the, in the U.S. Foreign Services oh, cool. because he chose that path, but was a, but was a much better wrestler than I was. You got, you got six brothers? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's actually eight of us total, oh, uh, myself being the seventh, you know, um, one of them was a stepbrother we were raised with. There's actually nine of us, so one of us, one uh, of my brothers passed away. Uh, when I was still in high school, he, uh, he was a little bit older, graduated high school, got uh, signed to the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I was out uh, celebrating and uh, rolled, was, uh, with a, was a passenger truck that got rolled and he ended up uh, getting thrown out of the car and dying. Mm. So, but there was a, we were a big brood of boys. It was a, all, of us were, all of us were boys and all of us did, did manly stuff growing up. You know, yeah. Did wood. you learn how to patch drywall as a young kid? You guys like tear the hell out of the Say house, again? all them boys. <laughs> did you learn how to patch drywall from running your brother's heads through the wall and all that? You know what's funny is that that's the one trait I don't understand how to do. I never <laughs> learned how to drywall. I ended up doing a lot of roofing, a lot of painting, of course, and stuff like that, but I never learned how to drywall. It's funny because I actually had a guy over here the other day that was fixing some holes in my wall. I was like, don't you know how to drywall? I'm like, no, I have no clue. I don't understand anything at all about it. Nothing. Well, you busted, not a paper, not to put it on, nothing. You busted <laughs> holes in the wall? Yeah, well, it was, we had some shelves, we had some oh. shelves hung, and then we moved the shelves from one wall to another wall, and, and the shelves got up, but the holes didn't get fixed. <laughs> so, what, uh, that worked. Do you remember, like, uh, your first career fight and, like, who you were fighting? Like, your first pro, um, your first geez, pro MMA first fight? fight? I was, I was in some tournament down in Texas. It was a, it was kind of a mess. Um, I had to fight four times, I think, in one night. Oh, gosh. For, uh, 500 bucks. I had to drive from <laughs> Oklahoma City, uh, or Norman, Oklahoma. I was actually at the, the University of Oklahoma to drive down from the University of Oklahoma down to, down to Dallas, Fort Worth. It was like two and a half hours. I had to fight, I had to win. If I didn't win the tournament, I didn't get paid anything. And I got no gas money, got no food money. Oh, got my gosh. So, how'd yeah, that work out? One of those deals, how it worked. So, how'd you come out in the tournament? I ended up winning that tournament. I finished all three guys in the first five minutes. Awesome. And then uh, went and bought myself a pizza. <laughs> I know, that's right. So, man, you're like, uh, every time I see you, you're like in phenomenal shape and everything. So, does that just like come natural and you just kind of sit around and play video games? And no, just... I, I really, we actually come from, I come from, you know, my, my dad is black, my mom is, is, uh, Native American Jewish, um, which is weird because she's half German and half Native American, but a German side is Jewish. So, I'm Jewish by default. The Jewish lineage runs through, um, the mother's side. So, I'm Jewish by default, but I was raised Catholic. So, it's, it's a very strange economy, but, Walk short and walk fat. Like everyone's short and fat. So it's a hard, difficult task, right? You know, all my brothers included, we all work out consistently. You know, we all, all do very physical stuff. Um, I have to watch my diet all the time. Um, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big sweet tooth. I want to sit down and eat, you know, eat, uh, uh, a whole cheesecake. Rice to make weight. Um, for a fight, whatever, I go down and eat, you know, and of course it's the worst thing for you because you know energy, whatever, but I would have to hold off. Until after the fight was over, the next day, you know, we fight Saturday night, come Sunday, I was eating a whole cheesecake. You know, I was just eat a whole cheesecake on one side and buy myself. Man, you're making me want All a cheesecake. So we got the fat guys here without the working out. Yeah. So now I'm trying. wanting cheesecake, dude. You're freaking killing me. I want some cheesecake bad with cherries. He wants a cheesecake and a video game controller. <laughs> yeah, bad, 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 bad. You got me. Cheesecake, and I would, I would make it justified by drinking a bunch of Amstel Light. 
Like you <laughs> yeah, nothing like light beer to freaking get your diet going good. No, right? It's like it's like ordering. It's like going to um to uh. uh do you guys have Booga de Beppo's up there where you guys are? It's like a big yeah, yeah. We got family it. style Italian place. Yeah, yeah. We do it. Yeah, okay, giant so bowls it's of like spaghetti. Going, it's like going there and eating, eating like a, holding a whole family plate for yourself and then going. Yeah, by the way, can I have a gallon of that coke? <laughs> yeah. What? Like this is, what? At that point, just. Shut up and drink the Coke. Just stop it. Yeah, they give you a mountain of spaghetti at Boca de Pepo. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that place. You know, I could eat like that. I loved it. A few years ago, I contacted you online, and I thought it was so cool. You responded back, and you sent me a picture. And I still got that picture today. I got a, I got two pictures of fighters. I got one of you, and uh, Evan Tanner sent me one. So, man, I, I still oh, got yeah. those. Yeah. yeah, actually, the, the first time I fought, it was for Evan Tanner's um, USWF. Oh, cool. Uh, in Texas. That's actually, he was, he was actually still running, him and Steve Nelson running. That's where I fought for him. That was my very, oh, very, wow. very first start. Well, man, I remember yeah. it was right when you were about to fight, uh, Matt Hughes again. And then, uh, um, and I loved all that hype back then. That was a really, a hyped up, uh, fight. And, and I remember like the, the low blow and then how all that went down and everything, man. And so, uh, do you like hang out with Matt at all? Y'all ever hang out on the farm or anything or? No, no, you know, um, I'm, I'm sure, you know, you know, the men that, that fought 10 years ago yeah. or, or whatever it was, eight years ago, or not the men that are up today. But, um, you know, my, my thing is, and, and, you know, every, every, every man has his own, his own journey, his own path, but sure. I, don't, I don't deal with bigotry. I don't deal with racism. I don't deal with womanizing. I don't deal with, with that whole mess. It's just not something that I like to have around. And at the time that when Matt was, was fighting me, that's what he was. You know, and I don't know if he still is because we don't, we don't talk. Oh, he's um, probably married with kids now. Separate. In separate interviews, we both have said that, you know, if, if we'd run into each other, and we do run into each other occasionally at fights, and, you know, the, the, the Diaz, Anderson Silva fight is this weekend. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I could very easily run into him. We're going to say hi, we're going to talk a little bit and chit chat. I have his number. I call him sometimes and try to interview him. So when I do interviews for MMA Outbreak, I try to get a hold of the interview cool. about Robbie Lawler and, oh, yeah. and his stature and standards. And, and yeah, I mean, we, we're, we have a, we have a, um, uh, a kind of like a George Foreman, Muhammad Ali, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of relationship. You know, I lost to him twice. He beat me twice. He's one of those two fights. And we just, you know, it's, it's past. We're, we're not athletes anymore. We've moved on to be other things. And we just have to kind of, have to kind of deal with that, have to deal with that fight all the time. The second one, especially because Dana White still says it's one of his favorite fights. It's still in the top three of all time, 100 UFC fights of all time. And yeah. I still get asked about it all the time. So I have to, have to talk about it. I still have to deal with it. And it's just, it's part of history. You know, it's not a lie. It's not like, Somebody's asking me about a lie. Well, it's not something that's made up that everyone's asking me about. It's, it's something that actually happened. I lost that fight that way, and that's just how it is. Yeah, man, it's still something that kind of sticks in my head because I just, you know, all these fights I've seen, that's one that I still remember, man. And it was just like, damn, I'm like, don't want to ask him about this. He probably hates talking about <laughs> this. So I was like, man, but, you know, it's just something that sticks with people, and it's a memorable event, you know. So, and that's another thing, too, you know, they got that uh, – Nick Diaz, uh, Anderson Silva. So we were trying to make sure you got us on the list there for uh, <laughs> yeah, free tickets, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if I can. Uh, yeah, Plane tickets and all, man. Plane ticket, limo, freaking service. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Like the UFC is uh, is really good about taking care of some some fighters, and they're really good about not taking care of others. Yeah. I'm in that mid group. I I kind of have a couple guys I call that when I really want to get tickets, I call them up a little bit earlier, and they go, okay, yeah, we got a couple, we got a pair for you, but not floor seats. They'll be mid level or whatever. And then sometimes I call and try to get in, like, yeah, we don't have tickets. Kind of oh, how it goes, you know. I don't. Uh, it's very strange and how like some guys still get in there, still get stuff, and and. You know, obviously it would be different if I'd become champ and, and had, uh, had won, you know, had defended the title three or four different times. And I'm sure I would have, uh, would have still been in part of the favors with the UFC. And right now it's just, uh, 
I'm, I'm hit and miss. Man, you're still a big draw. So when you're in that cage and you got them thousands screaming fans, your first time, like, what is that like, man? That's like insane. You know, it's, um, it's like being in, being a NASCAR. It's like being inside that, you know, and being at, you know, at Talladega or, or, or being at Watkins Glen and being one of the big races and sitting there and going, wow, I'm, I'm literally on, you know, I may not be, I may not be the pole position, but I'm in, I'm in the spot. Like I'm in, I'm in this race. Like I'm here. And I, I've always said, I do something. I did something that 97% of the men on the planet want to do that maybe 10% of the men on the planet can do and only 2% of the men on the planet can actually do well. So I'm in that top 2% of, of, of being able to walk in and do something. Now, what's it feel like when you get in there? Everybody has a little bit different explanation for it, but it's, for me, it's about, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about me proving, am I the better man tonight? Because in, in one-on-one fighting, we could fight 10 times, and other bookmakers could say, hey, it, it could be, you know, you know, nine times out of 10, uh, Anderson Silva beats Chris Wyden. You know, that's what the bookmakers were saying before the first fight. Maybe these guys could fight mm-hmm. 10 times, but nine times out of 10, Anderson Silva beats Chris Wyden. That's just how it's going to work. That's just how it is. It doesn't matter. So when, Sil- so when Wyden beat Silva the first time, it was, oh, well, that's his one time out of 10, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be Silva. Well, then we saw what happened. He breaks his leg. So when you're in there, for me, it's about proving, am I the better guy on the night? On that night, have I trained, eat right, said my prayers, gone to church, I'm to go to church, you know, Clean up the dishes. I'm supposed to clean up the dishes. Have I, have I done everything in alignment? Whatever, whatever it takes to be the champ. Am I the champ for that individual night? Now, I'm not saying winning the title, but am I the better fighter? You know, that night, that particular night. And we could yeah. fight again a week from now, and, and it could go a different way, a completely different fight. You yeah. know, it's just, this is how fighting is. So for me, it was always about a gladiator, being a warrior, being being that one, true, being that true martial artist. I'm going to prove right now that I'm a better guy. You have to and make it to the USA. You're a champ. I'm head high and shake his hand and just and be the end of it. So for me, it was always about individual competition. So a lot of people talk about surreal, and you see your fans and, and see like celebrities sitting around ringside and saying, you know, this and that and the other. And you know, I've had I've had Cuba Gooding Jr. at, at my fights. I've had Harrison Ford at my oh, fights. Wow. You know, I've had I've had Nick Cage at my fights, and these these guys are friends of mine. Like I have their phone numbers. I talk to them. Awesome. And they're there, you know watching me fight and it was it wasn't like oh hey i'm here to impress impress harrison forward i'm here to impress me i'm here to impress myself yeah, and see, see what i can do and that, so for me getting inside that cage is always it's like stepping into an arena it's like stepping into a gladiator during you know during roman times when when where i'm going in there it's just me versus one now, thank god it wasn't it wasn't like the christians versus the lions where i walk <laughs> in there and I'd be like yeah. i'm tied to a pole and i got seven lions coming after me that's a different story but that one-on-one gladiatorship, you know, just me versus one other guy, that's, that's, that's always what it was about for me. And, and that's kind of what it felt like when in there. I kind of felt like, hey, this is, you know, no armor other than other than a jock and a mouthpiece. And and uh, and it's just, let's just see who's better. So for me, it was like that feeling for me was always about being that warrior. Man, that's so awesome. I can't even get out of the amateurs on the video game. I can't even make it to the semi-pros. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. What well, you, everybody, what you... you know, everybody's got their calling in life. Mine just happened to be athletic. You know, now... <laughs> I'm hoping my calling in life is, is stunt work and, and acting. That's what I'm hoping my next calling in life is. But it's just, uh, yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you is what you, what you got, what's next on your plate? What are you going to do? Are you training anybody or is it more well, towards it's, acting? It's, I'm already signed to two, to lead and star in two movies. One is called In Which Way They, they Come, which is, which is, you remember In Which Way They Can and In Which Way But Loose. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Clint Eastwood, yeah. baby. Yeah. Okay, well, it was actually written, it was actually written as a trilogy. And the trilogy never happened because Clint moved on and went to bigger and better things and he couldn't get it going again. Well, the same director, Jim Fargo, is 
restarted the project and just did a, real, a little rewrite to it. And the rewrite is essentially I'm playing, I'm, I'm the lead, I'm playing Brady in it, Brady Collins, who's, who's Clint's nephew. Um, I get dragged back into the fighting business, you know, because my brother gets killed, and it's the story of, of me looking for my brother's killer and really being on the road throughout the throughout the Midwest trying to find my brother's killer and having no other way to really make money. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have real skills. I'm, I'm not singing one time for very long. I'm trying to make enough to live, you know, to, to sleep and eat every night, and, and the one way to do that is by doing odd jobs, you know, like working railroads and, and working construction, doing things like that for a short period of time, but then also fighting, and that's, that's kind of the story what it goes on is how we find is that how we find um um the my brother's killer my love interest as I come back home uh is uh is uh, April Rose who's Axel Rose's daughter she's a uh, oh, uh, doing a lot of awesome. sports commentary up in Chicago and nice. she's my love interest uh and it's just you know Chuck Vito is in it and we've got oh, yeah. uh, uh, Bill Goldberg plays like my little plays my little mentor in it and Kurt Angle plays a it's a different little bastard in it so I it's can, pretty can, good it's a you think we could beat in the? Cap, uh, you know? Is there a bad biker gang in there? We want to be part of that because we, we oh, like yeah. riding our bikes. Extras. Bad biker gang, good biker gang. There's a, there's a bad biker gang. There's a, there's a great biker gang. You know, it's like I'm kind of stuck in the middle of two of them because I'm just trying to do my own thing. Um, so I have that project coming up, and then there's a couple other projects that I'm trying to get signed to as a lead that are uh, they're essentially anything in Hollywood that, that is has a budget yeah. of less than ten million dollars. Right. They're considered low budget. And so both these projects are, are considered low budget because they're under $10 million, but they're not ultra low, meaning that they have, you know, less than a million dollars. These yeah. are low budget. They're around $5 million a piece. Um, one I'm already signed to, and the second one I'm trying to get signed to. And then, of, of course, as always, I'm, you know, I've been doing a lot of stunt work. I was on uh, Hawaii Five-0 a couple of times this, this season so far, and, and I did That's Frank cool. and Lola, another movie coming out. And uh, I was I did uh, The Bridge last season and Murder in the First last season. I'm hoping to get called back for those when they come back uh, again this season. But, yeah, I've done, uh, done quite a bit of stunt work, and, and that's just my, my main focus right now is uh, – is uh, stunt work and uh, in acting. Oh man, that's exciting, man. We'll definitely be looking for that. Do you have the orangutan and everything in there as he comes back? <laughs> yeah. No, Clyde, because Clyde. Uh, right turn, we were trying to get a spider monkey as opposed to orangutan, <laughs> for the, just for the you know. Because remember, these, these movies are dark humor, dark humor comedies, you know. So it's like having these little humor of these things in here, and uh, the, it's being filmed in Austin, Texas, and there's no you're not allowed to have prime, you're not allowed to bring orangutans in this case. Oh, back. okay. Imagine okay. that. So you have to have a, it's like a super expensive, like you can, but it's super expensive. You have to bring a, a, have a particular license and some other stuff that the, that the, uh, the producers and the, the, uh, um, movie house doesn't want to do. You know, the yeah. studio doesn't want to, want to pay the extra money for that, for that game. And you got like a, like second degree judo black belt. Do you do any training or anything on the side? Like, do you have any guys that you're kind of mentoring and things like that? You know, when it comes to, to judo, I actually haven't done, I haven't put a gi on and done judo in a very long time. Um, but I have noticed like when, uh, um, I'm screwing around with somebody, you know, a bar or whatever, if a friend of mine is messing with me or whatever, I'll need to go back to my judo holes that they have a jacket on. Like they have a jacket <laughs> I'm go back to oh, my yeah. holes. It's, just, it's kind of ingrained to me, but I haven't done much judo in a very long time because it's, just, it's so difficult to find a good club to go to. And in Vegas, there's no clubs at all to speak of. Like, I have to go oh, to LA wow. to find a good club, you know, that's the closest club to me. And then, uh, really it's impractical because really living on the West Coast, you know, we don't get winners. We don't get, and people don't really have jackets on that much. Mainly t-shirts. So we're going to hide into a, a judo hole with someone with a t-shirt on. Yeah. Them off them. We got Ken Shamrock coming up here a couple of days. He's got a bare knuckles fight I hear coming up. Do you, you heard anything like anything going on like that? Yeah. It's, you know, to be honest with you, I love Ken the best. You know, he obviously is one of the pioneers of the sport. The reason why I got into fighting and kind of pay attention to it, but 
but he even came out and said he's only doing it for the money. There's no other reason for the yeah. fight except for the money. He needs the money to survive. So he wants the money to be able to eat, sleep, and, and live. And, and I get that, and I totally understand yeah. it. But at a point, it's like him and Severn just kind of kept fighting, you know, way too long. They're still fighting way too long. It's like at this point, just stop. You know, at some point, you have to stop and look back at your legacy. Is this something that you want the fans to remember you by? And now you're doing bare knuckle fighting, you know, with no takedowns. And Severn, man, he had some big wars too back in the day. Oh, man. yeah. So, uh. Yeah, he just, I think he just finally retired like a year ago. He was still oh fighting like a year ago. He doing little fights out in Michigan. And it just, it really is silly. When you're like in your 50s and you're still fighting, like, what do you think? You know, it doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm almost in my 50s and I can barely think about any damn thing. Like, like where's my next drink? <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to fight anymore. I did when I was young, but I don't anymore. I'm not Man, I just broke some ribs on a four wheeler. I can't imagine <laughs> fighting anybody. Yeah. <laughs> What about uh any uh so you got the acting and stuff any kind of like wrestling thing like WWE in the future or anything like that I noticed you did a little you know what I, like I reached out to TNA a couple of years ago I was on TNA for a while with Kurt Angle um, and AJ Styles and, and Samoa Joe and I was kind of my 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 stick too and then uh, when that ended I, I reached out a couple of years after that to kind of see if they wanted to bring me back in or whatever and you know there was no interest from Dixie Carter to, to bring me in, and so I just kind of, you know, gave up on it, moved myself into a different, into a different aspect. You know, I don't really see um, much of a long future kind of in, in pro yeah. wrestling. It's, it's the, the field right now is so hard, and I don't have the size like a John Cena. Um, I'm more like Daniel Bryan's kind of size, yeah. and, and he has such a good stick. It's been tough for me to catch up to him and, and be able to make that kind of money. And, you know, really, the pay that pro wrestlers get in the very beginning, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like, you know, a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks Oof. a weekend. You know, it's not nothing you can survive on. Like, you know, it's, and that's not something I really want to do is go back down to the, I'm making no money again. You know, doing that and fighting that already. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're getting beat up all the time. You know, pro wrestling is very difficult. It's very hard oh, on the body. Like, you talk about all these guys are hurt and, and, you know, they're beat up year, years later. They just yeah. don't have the, you're, you're severely hurt when you get done with that whole game. Yeah, you know, it takes you a look at, uh, Hulk Hogan's already had two hit, double hip replacements. Wow. You know, he, he's falling apart, you know, at the seams. And so it's like, it's not something I really want to do. Stunts are hard enough, you know, you know, thinking, acting like I'm going through a window is hard enough, you know, acting like I'm going to get shot in the chest is hard enough, you know, and that's such a big challenge for me right now to, to build myself up strong enough that, uh, more stunt coordinators want to see me, want to use me, that, uh, that, uh, that's my main focus right now, as far as that goes and acting. It's kind of, uh, kind of intriguing on some of the wrestlers, the pro wrestlers like on the WWE and stuff that are making the transition, like the Brock Lesnar, and now we got the, what's the other guy that's coming now? Oh, there's CM a, Punk. CM Punk. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. CM Punk's been out for a while. I'm an avid follower of the WWE. I wonder how that transition will go into the. I guess uh, my my it. feeling is the first time he gets in there and, and he's gonna he's gonna feel he's gonna actually like a pro wrestling match when he gets in there. The very first time it's gonna be a whole hype up and walk through and all that stuff, and then all of a sudden he's gonna get in. The first time he gets really punched in the face, really one time <laughs> in the middle of that cage, his whole his whole demeanor is gonna change. He's gonna and, like, you know, it's gonna fall. He's gonna fall apart. He's gonna be know? like, "Damn, take it easy." Give him some <laughs> jump. You know, there's no there's no reason to have him. You know, right? That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's gonna transition like Brock did. Brock's a beast yeah, oh, in gosh. every friggin' <laughs> sense, sense of the word. And I mean, he got knocked well, out. You know what I mean? But can, he was still a beast. You know what I mean? You can pretty much see. Brock Lesnar's contract's up here in March or something, and I, I think he'll be back in the UFC coming July. Oh man, he's that, a big that's draw. Feeling. Come come July 11th, we're gonna have the big expo here in Las huge. Vegas. It's a huge expo. That that's my that's my guess. Right. That Brock Lesnar's gonna be on that gonna be on that card just because he's uh, he's a huge draw, a yeah. huge pay per view draw. He's a huge fan draw. He's a huge mer- merchandise selling, and that's what they're trying to get into right yeah. now is get all this all this selling done with with uh, with Reebok. 
I mean, unless, unless, uh, uh, Bellator gives, gives Brock a huge amount of money to make the transfer over, um, I, I see, you know, I see the, the UFC really, really handling Brock and getting him to come yeah. over to, uh, to the UFC. And, and I think he'll fight probably in, in July. That's yeah. my guess. I don't see UFC trying to pass that up. That's a big money maker for him. So we got a little thing we call a hustling around where I ask you a bunch of quick questions and you kind of tell me the first thing you pops in your head. Uh, you fine with that? Yeah. Good. All right. So if you're elected president tomorrow, what's the first thing that you would do? If I'm president? Yeah, so we elected you president tomorrow. What would you do first? Well, if I'm president, I think the first thing, first thing I'm going to do is, is lower the uh, minimum minimum wage throughout the you know, federal standard for the minimum wage. You're going to lower it instead of raise it? Raise it. I'm going to oh, raise okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you said lower it, brother. I got, I got sorely pissed off for a second. You got Mike scared over here. He's like, Man, damn, yeah, I'm already making $7 an hour. I'm, I'm making minimum wage as it is. You're trying to lower it. Hustler, I ain't going for it. I'm going to make it catch up to the rest of the country. I mean, yeah, man. Minimum rate is 20 bucks an hour. Oh, hell yeah. I, hey, I'm electing you now. Inflation, and their inflation is way lower than ours. Oh, well, it's inflationary and all that. No, man. It's, you got to get it to a, to a – nobody working full-time at minimum wage in the United States of America can survive. You got to get them survive. You cannot provide for yourself. You cannot provide for yourself and the family. So think about a man that's really trying to work. He's really trying to take care of his family. He can't find a job. That pays, that pays any higher than minimum wage and can't take care of his family like that, that's ridiculous. And you, and you gotta give him a reason to want to work, and that, that's right now, that's why you gotta get that up. Another thing we got is the yeah, for sure. favorite submission move. Uh, my favorite submission move is a knee bar. That's my favorite submission right. move. Oh god. What about Pride or UFC? <laughs> well, for me, I, you know, obviously it's gonna be Pride. I did better in Pride, I commentated for Pride, I worked for Pride for several years. So for me, it's about pride. No, no, but, but mind you, if the UFC called me tonight, <laughs> hey, look, we, we want you to come in and audition for a new, for a new commentating team that we're opening up. We want you to come in and, and audition for a new commentating team. I come right in and audition for that commentating team. If they hired me and after about four months of me working for the UFC, I can tell you absolutely be the UFC. Exactly. Man, because I want it's you a premier that. episode. They're the premier league. They're still alive. They're, they're standing all the time. Love or hate how the Petitas run it. Love or hate how Dana Wright runs it. Doesn't make a damn difference. They are the Super Bowl of the of the MMA world right now. And if they brought me in and had me work for their company and you know uh, on air on air stuff, whether it's interviews or or doing commentating, I can almost guarantee it'd be you know after about six months of working for them and getting through that initial where do I belong and how much you know where where's my station in, in this within this company once you get through that whole game, 100 percent of the UFC. But right now because that's who I worked for and who I fought for and had a yeah. better record. You know, in, in pride than I did in the UFC, obviously, is that, uh, it's obviously pride. Well, selfishly, I hope that it would work out and they would get you on there, man. I'd love to see you on there. What about Seahawks or Patriots? Seahawks. Man, I'm a Patriots yeah, fan. Yeah, I'm a big, we'll I'm a big Seahawks fan. Um, a buddy of mine is from Seattle. Uh, Greg, he, he, we, every Sunday we kind of, he's like, uh, he's like, he's like my brother here in town. So my, um, Jill and I go over to his house every Sunday and, you know, wherever we're at in Vegas and watch, the Seahawks game together. If we're not together, we're watching it on separate TVs and still, you know, chatting back and forth on texting. And, and it's, uh, it's became kind of a family affair. Now, mind you, I'm from Rochester, New York, so my team is Buffalo. Oh, yeah. I used to work for the Atlanta Falcons. And <laughs> so, you know, obviously I still have, you know, still have friends. And, and, and well, if you're a Buffalo fan, it's like being a Titans Buffalo, fan. We've just, we just been sucking for a long time, and it's just how it is. Like, I like, I like the Seahawks. To the final, you know, between them and, and uh, the Patriots, I've always been a, more of a Seahawks fan anyway than, than the than the Patriots, and this year I think the Seahawks are going to repeat. Yeah, well, should be a good game. I'm fired up and ready to watch it. Dick's, Dick's a little bit deflated because you picked Seattle, so. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Seattle's tough, man. What about your favorite drink? 
Uh, my favorite drink is uh, uh, Classy Azul Tequila. Oh, yeah. My favorite drink. Yeah, if um, if I'm drinking by myself, I'm sitting at the house and it's like I want to have some drink, I drink uh, tequila. All right. When I'm out with uh, with my lady, it's usually Moscow Mules. When we're when we're having our, our bougie uh, date nights, we usually go someplace that's got a really good Moscow Mule. If we're just out drinking with friends, then uh, like if we're out to clubs, I do uh, um If you guys follow me on Instagram or follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I spend a lot of time out to clubs here in Vegas. I'm a huge club head. I love... I love uh, um, um, the DJs that come in and the vibe and the feeling of it. You know, when you're in the club and all that. And usually, I'm drinking uh, Baccarat. Rocks. That's my that's my my public drink is Baccarat. Rocks. Oh, that's what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. But it's funny too that uh, I actually give you a little uh, a little exclusive that most people don't know. But I'm a huge country music fan. Right? I have right. been since college, and I've always kind of kept it hidden. I've always kept it, you know, on the light. But, uh, but lately, my kids now are getting the age where they actually can sing along. And they always ask me, how come I listen to country music? It's just always been my, my thing. When I'm driving in the car, um, driving around town, it's always got country music on. I try to hit uh, as many country concerts as I can a year. Last year, I didn't get to very many just because uh, I was traveling quite a bit. But this year, Joe and I ended up going to quite a few um, country concerts here in town. Hey, on your, uh, you're talking about you like the clubs in Vegas. Uh, buddy of mine just hit One Oak this past week. Have you, uh, yep. Is that a pretty hitting place? or? Uh, one Oak used to be uh, Jack. Over in um, over in the Mirage, it's actually I have, some, I have a couple of friends. Uh, uh, my girlfriend's a, a very very sought after um, yoga instructor here in town, and a lot of the the girls because they have um, they have to wear skimpy outfits. They're always you know they they come to the afternoon yoga classes because they you know don't get into like five or six in the morning and then get up and and come work out. And so they come in and, and we know a lot of the the is over at One Oak. Uh, it's a good club. It's actually right. not, it's actually a pretty good club. Now it's the hottest club right now. In town of Hakkasan over at MGM. That's the biggest club in town right now. And closely followed by Dre's. But then after that, it's kind of a, a, a your flavor. Like, what do you feel? And really what I tell people is that if you're staying in a hotel that has a club, unless you really have to pay, unless you really feel like paying for a big table at Hakkasan or, or it's really the place you want to go, every club in Vegas is a great club to be at in Vegas. So if you're at a hotel that has a, has a club in it, just stay at the hotel and, and go to that club because you don't have to worry about waiting. Taxi, taxi cab lines trying to get back to your hotel. After the night's over, you can just stumble right up to your room, and it's, it's very easy not to worry about uh, any problems getting back to your room at, you know, at that point of the night. Yeah, we might be coming to Vegas this year sometime. Maybe we'll hit you up and we'll buy you a drink. Yeah, hit me up. Yeah, yeah absolutely hit me up. If I'm in town, I'm definitely uh, – I'm always down to, to visit and hang out with uh, – especially this weekend. I mean, like we said, uh, the Diaz Anderson Silver fights in town, and, and all these guys are, are coming in. And yeah. I've got three or four different fans trying to hunt me down for autographs and sign different oh, yeah. posters and what have you. And so it's, uh, I'm always down to hang out with, with, uh, with folks awesome, from the We're going to hold you to that. What about your favorite active fighter to watch? It's tough to say. My favorite active fighter to watch right now is, is a, I have a lot of really guys I really like to watch. I like watching the, um, uh, uh Liam McGeary over in, in, uh, in Bellator. Paul Daly, who fights over in Bellator. Oh, yeah. I love watching yeah. him. Tom Duscanoli, who <laughs> fights over in Bama overseas on, uh, Bama's, um, the British Association of Mixed Martial Arts is the company I commentate for. Uh, Dishkanoi is one of my, he's a French fighter. Most people don't know anything about him, but he's amazingly, he's so much fun to watch fight and it's amazing to watch this kid be this good, this young in his career and, and not have anybody in the States even know who he is. Uh, I really, really, really enjoy watching Matt Holloway fight. Uh, uh, but right now my, my favorite fighter, love or hate him, has got to be Conor McGregor. I'm, 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 oh, I, don't yeah. know if I, I don't know if I love him. I don't know if I hate him. I can't really tell which yet. It like depends. I, every time he fights, I, got, I listen to every interview. I'm hung on every word he says. I'm just invested in everything he does, and then I always pick the guy that he's fighting to beat him. So it's like, do I love this guy, or do I, or do I want to see him 
but I want to challenge him every time that he fights and just prove that he's the top end guy. I, I haven't quite yeah. figured it out yet. I saw him jump the fence the other night, man. What a maniac. Yeah. What about, uh, yeah. geometry or trigonomics? Um, I actually feel both. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm That's why you're one. a fighter. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Nick Diaz or Anderson Silva? Tough fight. This is a tough fight to pick because Nick Diaz does not check any kicks. Anderson Silva probably won't throw that many kicks because of his leg. But then Nick is going to have to check at least one kick to see what happens. He's going to jump there and yeah. put chin to chin and see what happens to, to Anderson's uh, psyche. Nick has never been beat. The only way to beat Nick is by taking him down and laying on top of him. You can't, you can't beat him any other way because his punch count is so high. You can't beat him in the stand-up war. So unless Silva knocks Diaz out, which has never happened, <laughs> he's going to have a hard time beating him in the stand-up game because he's just throwing punches at him. Which means now Silva has to run and throw kicks the entire time. He takes, either one takes the other guy down, they're both good on the ground. They're both, both yep, black belt yep. level jitsu, both black belt level for MMA. This is a very difficult fight to pick. Of course, I wouldn't want Sanderson Silva because he, you know, he wins this fight, he's automatically back in the title hunt. Uh, and then you've got, the ability of, of Diaz to come in, who's, who's actually going up a weight class. He's a 170 pounder, fighting 185 yeah. to be able to fight. Yeah. So this is a difficult fight to call. It really right. is a difficult fight, especially after such bad leg breaks. It's so bad. I just got to tell you, thank you so much for coming on here, man. It really made my night, and I've been fired up and pumped up, kind of nervous. Like, damn, you're ready to talk to Frank Trigg. I've been super excited. <laughs> and uh, taking a break from your Call of Duty, man. Uh, <laughs> like I said, you've been one of my all-time favorite fighters, and this has been, been a pleasure to talk to you, and I appreciate you taking your time out. I'd like to talk to you again sometime as soon as your movie comes out or anything, man. I'd like to hit you up again on here. You've been great. And uh, once we get to Vegas, we're going to look you up, man, and get you that drink. We appreciate it, it, brother. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time with us, man. You're you're awesome. We look forward to seeing you and uh, talking to you again, man. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the time. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a great day. Thanks. All right. That was a fucking awesome show. Frank Trigg, can't wait to talk to him again. That was a good time. So uh, remember, guys, straighthustling.com. I got a uh, Mike. Tell me who we got coming up next. Oh, uh, we got the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. We got uh, the heavyweight champ of conservative talk radio, Phil Valentine, and for sure we got ex-pro football player Bernard Wilson. If you have any questions for our upcoming guests, you can leave it on our uh, comment section on our website, straighthustling.com. And with all our information, here is Stu. Hey, everybody, make sure you check out straighthustling.com. That is S-T-R, number eight, H-U-S-T-L-I-N dot com. Hey, be sure when you go out there, check out our social media links. We've got Facebook, Twitter, and a couple others. And also, iTunes and Stitcher, and uh that you want to follow the Straight Hustling Podcast. And be sure that you leave comments so we know what's going on in your head. All right, we want to thank you all again for listening. There's any children out there looking for the father. Uh, Stu's the man. He's on the website. You can leave us some messages on there and we'll hook you up with some child support. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Remember, if you ain't hustling, you ain't living, we're out.